Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We're sitting on a bed right now. <laughs> all right, all settled. That's some good wiggling you're doing. It's a bed, so it makes squeaky <laughs> noises. It's so. making y'all squeaky and wiggly wobbly <laughs> and up and downy. Ah, uh, New York City apartments. Yeah. <laughs> Making it work. <laughs> so we are recording, coming to you live from tape for the first time <laughs> from uh, our home, Staten Island, New York. New York City, baby! So in the true fashion of artists in New York City, our apartment is small and uh, has thin walls at times, so if you hear trucks beeping outside or children running through the hallways, uh, we're going to try and edit that out. We're also sitting on our bed to record, because this room has the most sound dampening. Yeah. So so hopefully it works. Hopefully it works. Uh, if, if it doesn't, then this episode will sound terrible, and next week we'll record we'll somewhere figure else. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but if you hear a bed squeaking, it's just me moving my butt around. So. Yeah. Enjoy. We, we have been jamming a lot to um, this morning oh, to yeah. to uh, what is it? What's it called? Magic. Magic. Two K seventeen. I think. What's the the guy's website is themagicipod.com. It's pretty great. <laughs> where this this person um, is mashing up like nineties and early two thousands. Um, rap and hip-hop songs with 90s and early 2000s sort of pop rock, pop, pop rock punk. grunge, yeah. Like, it's it's like one of the ones we did was um, Missy Elliott, Lose Control, and um, a Short Skirt, Long Jacket, Cake. And it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So you, you go to this website, themagicipod.com, and uh, just you, you click on the, the rapper, hip-hop artist whichever one that you like and you go and you you drag it over to the um the options it gives to you to the sort of those pop rock punk options and so then you hear you hear the mashup it's pretty fun it's pretty cool we, we, go we, check it out we've been rocking out to it this morning so we don't know this person um, yeah, I, I don't know who this person uh, is if if you're listening which i know you are uh <laughs> thank you for brightening our morning um our monday morning <laughs> Thank you, Magic iPod 2K17. Woo woo! Love the internet sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it does. Speaking right. of the internet, you should find us. I mean, if you're listening to us, you have kind of found us, uh, maybe via a friend or via one of these options. But we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have the tweeting, uh, which I'm learning to do. The, the tweeting? The, the tweeting. <laughs> Um, and so you can find us, Campfire Classics. Um, if you search that, you'll find us on those platforms. And you can listen to us on all the different platforms. So we like the internet right now because that's how we're reaching you. That's, yeah, that's the only way we get to do anything. Because we're trapped in our apartments. <laughs> did did have, uh, did get to have some fun in the real people space uh, last night. We did. We actually went into Manhattan for the first time. Well, I went in for the first time in almost a year. Holy crap. It was so crazy because, like, we're going in and they've got... On the Staten Island Ferry, they've got, like, seats marked off with, like, tape marks. So they, they're doing a really good job of, like, trying to keep people separate. And it wasn't super busy, and people were really respecting the space, and um, everyone was wearing their masks. But no, and for those of you listening anywhere other than New York City, yeah. uh, don't believe the hype. New York is not a war zone. New Things York are not falling great. to pieces. <laughs> There's no tourists um, here right now, and it's, like, freaking. Amazing! It's like a, it's like a normal city. Like we were walking around last night in Times Square, and there's music playing, and we we uh, listened to our friend Marty Millet and her husband play um, at the West Side Diner, and it was really nice. It felt like yes, different because this. I mean, everything is different right now, but it was the most social I had been in. Uh, since, since since about eighteen twenty two, I think. <laughs> since April fifth, when I got off the ship, basically. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was a nice night with Jesse and Andrew, and we met Jessica, and yeah, it was it was very lovely. So um, it's nice to be back home, um, and we're figuring it out. But for now, we have this delightful podcast to bring to you wherever you are. Wear your mask. Wear your masks. Wear your masks. Keep doing all the good things, and, and we'll keep vote. and we'll keep doing all our good things, and yeah. um, and life. We'll find a we'll way. Find, <laughs> we'll find a way, as uh, as uh, Mr. Goldblum says. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I uh, I feel caffeinated and reasonably well fed. Uh, you want to just get this party started? Let's get this jam going. I got an iced coffee right next to me, and I'm like ready to go. Here it is. Ooh, yummy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today we are going to be, uh, you are going to be reading a story. I know. From, uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> this is going to be a story from Mr. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know him at all, so uh, here we go. <laughs> so, H.P. Lovecraft uh, was born in August 1890. He's an American author of sort of weird horror fiction, uh, and he's most famous for his stories that ended up becoming the Cthulhu Oh, okay. He's the mythos. Cthulhu guy. He's the Cthulhu got guy. It. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Um, what's kind of interesting, one of the interesting things about him is that through his life, um, he he never actually made much money doing this. He was not a successful writer. Um, he was never able to support himself from his earnings as uh, as an author Gee, or editor. Gee, don't understand that um, at all. <laughs> and he was almost completely unknown during his lifetime, and his work was almost exclusively published in like um, those pulp fiction magazines. Okay. That's sort of the only way he was known. And the people who did know him did not universally like him. Um, I'm going to read a couple of reviews later okay. on th- through through our biography interesting facts section. All right. I'm gonna read it, but, um, but today, now, he's regarded as one of the most significant 20th century authors of supernatural horror fiction, that whole sci-fi genre, and countless sci-fi and fantasy writers list him amongst their influences. That's so fu- So he is a true artist because he didn't become famous till after he died. Much like... Much um, like many painters. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, very much like um, Van Gogh, yeah. who in his time, not only was he relatively unknown, but the people who did know him kind of looked at him as like, like, what do you, okay, what do, you do? Is this sort of yeah. like childish and bizarre Don't and like unsettling it. to look at? And now he is is widely considered one of the most influential painters of all time. Yeah. So H.P. Lovecraft, similar situation there. Uh, so he was an only child. However, he was not with both of his parents for very long because in 1893, after a psychotic episode in a Chicago hotel, his father was committed to Butler Hospital, what? which was um, a, a, a mental yeah. facility. It was not clear who reported his prior behavior to the hospital, but his medical records indicate that he had been doing and saying strange things at times for a year before he was committed. Uh, Lovecraft's dad spent five years there before dying in 1898. <gasps> oh, yeah, because mental hospitals were not okay back then. His uh, his death certificate listed his cause of death as general paresis, also known as general paralysis of the insane or paralytic dementia, a term which was used at the time basically synonymous with the dementia brought on by late-stage syphilis. Okay, so he had syphilis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like I said, Lovecraft was never able to provide, even for basic expenses, through his writing. He lived very uh, frugally and occasionally would go without food okay. so that he could pay for sending letters, like mailing his work to, to publishers. Um, so during the Great Depression, he politically started shifting towards socialism and was a big supporter of FDR, but he thought that the New Deal wasn't left enough. Okay, so he's, he'd be a Bernie. Yeah. Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, and then uh, after seeing a doctor when he was in his m- mid-40s, I think he was 40. 
45 or 46, he went to see this doctor, was diagnosed with terminal cancer of the <gasps> small intestine. No. Due to his fear of doctors, Lovecraft didn't go in, didn't go in, didn't go in, and he he didn't get examined until a month before he died. See, that's what I'm talking about. Go to the doctor, get your checkups, y'all. Yeah. Early efforts to revise an established literary view of Lovecraft as an author of pulp were resisted by critics. Basically, they uh, literary critics at the time saw him as a pulp fiction writer, okay. which isn't which was sort of frowned upon. In fact, in 1945, one critic said the only real horror in most of his fictions is the horror of bad taste and bad art. Okay. All anyway, right. today we will be reading The Tomb by H.P. Lovecraft. The Tomb. All right. Uh, like, we're sitting on this bed. You want to start the fire? Fire. The Tomb by H.P. Lovecraft. In relating the circumstances which have led to my confinement within this refuge for the demented... I am aware that my present position will create a natural doubt of the authenticity of my narrative. Okay, so he's in a hospital. Um, and he's, he's in a mental hospital, people. and he is aware that we're not going to trust him. Okay. All right, great. I love that these old writers are like, this is the story, and this is what you're probably going to think of it. Like, the past couple we've read are just like, it's, it's this all is very, this, and this is this. Here's, here's the situation. That's how you're going to feel about if things. If you don't like it, Put it down now. <laughs> All right. It is an unfortunate fact that the bulk of humanity is too limited in its mental vision to weigh with patience and intelligence these isolated phenomenon, seen and felt only by psychologically a psychologically sensitive few, which lie outside its common experience. Is this a ghost? Yeah. Men of broader intellect know that there is no sharp distinction betwixt the real and the unreal, that all <laughs> things appear as they do only by virtue of the delicate individual physical and mental media through which we are made conscious of them. But the prosaic materialism of the majority condemns as madness the flashes of supersight which penetrate the common veil of obvious empiricism. Holy Ooh. shit. This is a little heavy. That was a lot. Hi. Hi, big words. Um, and good morning. We're, we're like, going to be we're gonna be juggling a lot of $5 words with this story. Apparently. Wow. My this mouth feels... just got a workout. I'm very impressed with myself, first of all, because <laughs> I saw these words like rolling and I'm like, whoo, one of oh, these crap. is going to trip me. But it didn't. Thank you, Scott Stackhouse. <laughs> uh, this just already breathe. This already feels very... Um, uh, uh, Poe slash Dickens. Yeah, very Poe po meets Dickens, so dark and ghosty. Dark and moody and maybe a little smarter than it has to be. Yeah, like, <laughs> look at the words I use. I probably get, well, he didn't get paid by the word. He didn't get paid, so. apparently. Apparently he didn't get paid. Um, that's why he has a bunch of $5 words, because <laughs> yeah, he got paid for those, yeah. maybe. My name is Jervis Dudley. What a great name. Hello, Jervis. I'm Jervis I'm Dudley. I'm Jervis Dudley. And from earliest childhood, I have been a dreamer and a visionary, wealthy beyond the necessity of a commercial life and temperamentally unfitted for the formal studies and social recreations of my acquaintances. <laughs> I have built ever in realms apart from the visible world. Spending my youth and adolescence in ancient and little-known books, and in roaming the fields and groves of the region near my ancestral home. So, he was a nerd. So, he's rich, <laughs> socially awkward, and super into books. And super into books and, like, exploring, like, the, the terrain. I do not think that what I read in these books or saw in these fields and groves was exactly what other boys read and saw there, but of this I must say little, since detailed speech would but confirm these cruel slanders upon my intellect, which I sometimes overhear from the whispers of the, steadily atten the stealthy attendants around me. <laughs> it is sufficient for me to relate events without analyzing causes. Okay, so, so they make the the uh, the nurses at this supposed mental hospital like to make fun of their patients, and that's another reason that you know what um, we still got a long way to go in this country, but um, in the stigma, and how about not? How yeah. about how about not make this person feel more miserable? 
Um, yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, that he's he's saying, for me, it's enough. I'm not looking for the reasons why any of this happened. It's enough for me to... It just to, did. Like, I'm just going to tell you what happened. I'm not looking for the answers why. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have said that I dealt apart from the visible world, but I have not said that I dealt alone. This no human creature may do, for lacking the fellowship of the living, he inevitably draws upon the companionship of things that are not, or are no longer living. Oh no. Oh no, he has like (laughs) a really weird, uh, demonic, like invisible friend, I'm guessing. (laughs) Close by my home, there lies a singular wooded hollow in whose twilight deeps I spend most of my time, reading, thinking, and dreaming. Down its moss-covered slopes, my first steps of infancy were taken, and around its grotesquely gnarled oak trees, my first fancies of boyhood were woven. Well, did not come to know the presiding dryads? Dryads? Dryads. Of those, what is dryad? Dryad, uh, naiads and dryads are like the fairies of rivers and the fairies of trees. Okay. I don't remember which is which. <laughs> the presiding dryad, well, trees. He says of those trees. Oh. So the dryads, so dryads. the fairies of trees. Yes, they are the nymphs, nymphs inhabiting a forest or a tree, especially an oak tree. Well, there we go. Well did not come to know the presiding dryads of those trees, and often have I watched their wild dances in the struggling beams of the waning moon. But of these things I must now speak. I will tell only of the lone tomb in the darkest of the hillside thickets, the deserted tomb of the hides, an old and exalted family whose last direct descendants had been laid within its black recesses many decades before my birth. The Hyde's, the Hyde's like, like Jekyll and Hyde. I know, that's the first thing I said. I was like, oh, did Hyde reproduce? Are we about to learn? Well, it's about the same time, though. It was like 1890. Well, but he that means he was writing this in like the... like. Early 1900s. 19, 19, I think this was a close to 1920. Okay, because he was born in 1890, which is when the Hyde's, like, that's when Jekyll and Hyde was set, was, like, late 1800s. All right, let's find out. The vault to which I refer is an ancient granite. Granite. Yeah, that's a word. Uh, (laughs) I love when you look at a word and you're like, you know what it is, and then you say it, and you're like... Yeah, that is a word. That's a word. That actually is a word. Okay. I just have to pronounce it right. I just have it's, to. It's granite. It's not grainite. Grainite or gra- granite. The, the vault to which I refer is of ancient granite, weathered and discolored by the mists and dampness of generations. Excavated back into the hillside, the structure is visible only at the entrance. The door, a ponderous and foreboding slab of stone, hangs upon rusted iron hinges and is fastened ajar in a queerly sinister way by means of heavy iron chains and padlocks. Don't go in that <laughs> door! There is a reason there are Probably locks on there for a reason, dude. It's a tomb, and they've locked it with heavy iron chains? Like, come on! There is something behind there. Don't need to come out. That's all I'm saying. According to a gruesome fashion of a half century ago, the abode of the race whose scions are here inured had once crowned the declivity which holds the tomb, but had long since fallen victim to the flames which sprang upon from a disastrous stroke of lightning. Oh shit, so it's like a burned up tomb. Of the midnight storm which destroyed this gloomy mansion, the older inhabitants of the region sometimes speak in hushed and uneasy voices, alluding to what they call divine wrath, in a manner that in later years vaguely increased the always strong fascination which I felt for the forest darkened spectacular. I know this word. I can't say it. It's one of those words. Sepulcher. Sepulcher. I was like, I know what it is supposed to say because I've heard the word, but rarely have I read it. What's that mean? Sepulcher. A small room or monument cut in rock or built of stone in which a dead person is laid or buried. Okay, so a tomb. Sepulcher. It's a fancy way of saying a tomb. Darkened sepulcher slash tomb. One man only had perished in the fire. 
When the last of the hides was buried in this place of shade and stillness, the sad yearnful of ashes had come from a distant land to which the family had repaired when the mansion burned down. No one remains to lay flowers before the granite portal, and few care to brave the depressing shadows which seem to linger strangely upon the water-worn stones. So it's a tomb in the middle of the woods that was once burned up by a fire, and no one of that family lives anymore, so no one goes there. So no one there. visits it. It's just this creepy, old, burned-out, abandoned tomb with, with fucking locks on it. So, Stay the hell away. So this child who likes to talk to things that aren't there is going to go there. This oh, is going to end great. Well, we already know it's going to not end great. But yeah. I shall never forget the afternoon when I first stumbled upon the half-ridden house of death. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I would not forget the day I stumble upon the house of death either. Uh, uh, it was in midsummer when... Oh, it's a dream. Midsummer <laughs> night's dream. Um, it was in mid... <laughs> Do you like that song? <laughs> Is this Midsummer Night's Dream, the opera by H.P. Lovecraft? Um, yes. <laughs> Hello, lyricists and composer friends. Get on that. It was in Midsummer when the alchemy of nature transmutes the sylvan landscape to one vivid and almost homogeneous mass of green. When the senses are well nigh intoxicated with the surging seas of moist verdure verger said <laughs> a real word verger v e r d e r e are you looking v- it up yes i am v e r d u r e d u r e lush green vegetation <laughs> moist i'm going to say moist one more time just for everyone at home who you loves the word moist just said it two moist. more times three more times <laughs> moist verger and the subtlety define the subtle def- the subtly def- definable Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> don't worry just d- run run through the sentence like four or five times I'll edit it so that we only take your best take uh-huh sure you will <laughs> this is still the same sentence that started with midsummer by the way it was in the midsummer when the <laughs> alchemy of nature transmutes the sylvan landscape to one vivid and almost homogeneous mass of green, when the senses are well nigh intoxicated with the surging seas of moist verdure and the subtly indefinable odors of the soil and the vegetation. Holy mother. Good lord, that was a long sentence. It was a long sentence about the grass was wet and you could smell it. No wonder he didn't sell well. He doesn't even know how to avoid run-on sentences. (laughs) Well, let's be fair. Most of these guys didn't because most of them were getting paid by the word. In such surroundings, the mind loses its perspective. Time and space becomes trivial and unreal. And echoes of a forgotten prehistoric past beat instantly upon the enthralled consciousness. So it's like a day in COVID isolation. Just keeps going. You lose track of time. Just keeps going. Kind of like this sentence. All day I had been wandering through the mystic groves of the hollow thinking thoughts I need not discuss. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. All right. Well then. (laughs) That's fun. And conversing with things I need not name. (laughs) Okay, no, thinking of things you need not discuss, I get that. Yeah, like we everyone all have, yeah. everyone gets their private time. He's yeah. he's watching the little brain porn. That's yeah, cool. That's cool. But talking to things you need not name, that makes me worry. No, no, no. Name them. Name them because yeah, I'm I'm worried. I'm assuming he is going to name them at some point. Yeah. In years a child of ten, I had seen and heard many wonders unknown to the throng and was oddly aged in certain respects. When upon forcing my way between two savage clumps of briars, I suddenly encountered the entrance of the vault. I had no knowledge of what I had discovered. The dark blocks of granite, the door so curiously ajar, and the funeral carvings above the arch aroused in me no association of mournful or terrible character. Of graves and tombs, I knew and imagined much, but had on account of my particular temperament been kept from all personal contact with churchyards and cemeteries. This kid's a psychic. Or, like, he's, like, he's a, he's very sensitive to, like, 
He's not scared of it. Right. Because his whole life, he's just kind of been like, well, he's been around it and he's, he's always been like, oh, yeah, there's just there's all there are weird things. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it's not scary to him, you know. The strange stone house on the woodland slope was to me only a source of interest and speculation, and its cold, damp interior into which I vainly peered through the aperture so tantalizingly left contained for me no hint of death or decay. But in that instant of curiosity was born the maddeningly unreasonable desire which had brought me to this hell of confinement. Spurred on by a voice which must have come from the hideous soul of the forest, I resolved to enter the beckoning gloom in spite of the ponderous change which barred my passage. No! There's a reason the chains are there, you dumb... And what do you think's whispering to you in the forest to go into the tomb? It ain't something good. I'm going to tell you that right now, little boy. Didn't, Come on. didn't you just call it the hideous voice of the forest? Or yes, like, yeah, the hideous no, voice of the forest. Don't, don't do that. Like, get out of the forest. Don't go into the forest deeply underground in a tomb with chains on it. Let's go, go watch on. more movies. Yeah, he has not seen uh, 90s horror movies, clearly. Go home and watch more movies. He's you the guy who not... would run up the stairs when the murderer's chasing. Hmm, I wonder what that sound is in the basement. Don't go. Just don't go. It's... Don't no. do it. No, okay. In the waning light of day... Oh, and it's getting dark. Great. In the waning light of day, I alternately rattled the rusty impediments with a view to throwing wide the stone door and essaying to... An essay? Essaying? Essaying. Essaying. It's spelled the same. Yeah, so essay... Uh, the, that that yeah. word is um, from the French essay, which is to try. So an essay, when when you're writing an essay, you're making uh, an uh, attempt. attempt. You're making a try, and to essay something is to, to to try, try to, it to attempt well, it. Well, that was a French lesson by Ken Sandberg, and you're, you're he didn't welcome. even look on the computer. Y'all. I didn't even look that one up. That I just knew just, that one. That was just part of his wonderful nerdy knowledge. I love it. Um, Okay, in the waning light I day, I alternately rattled the rusty impediments with a view to throwing wide the stone door and essayed to squeeze my slight form through the space already provided. But neither, pl ne neither plan met with success. See, everything's trying to keep him out. Dude, At first curious, I was now frantic. And when in the thickening twilight, I returned to my home. Okay, so he did go home. Went home, okay. Well, that's good, because he couldn't fit. So he's going to come back with a crowbar or some shit, or you know. Something, he yeah. Um, I had sworn to the hundred gods of the grove that at any cost, I would someday force an entrance to the black, chilly depths that seemed calling out to me. Yeah, that sounds That sounds like stable. a metaphor for something else. <laughs> The physician. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even going there. I was like, that sounds dark as hell. But yeah, I guess also like, I'm going to get it. As you know? God, as my witness, someday I am going to get there yeah, into that dark, into moist that wet, hole. chilly hole that seems to be calling out to me. It's just a 10 year old's like adolescent, like. These are the things mind. he was thinking that he didn't need to discuss. <laughs> yeah. Now, who he was talking to about them, I'm still, I'm still curious. I'm still curious. But, but now, I'm, now I have my curiosity sated with regards to his thoughts. Yeah. The physician with the gray iron beard who comes each day to my room once told a visitor that this decision marked the beginning of a pitiful monomania. Like, uh, obsession, I'm guessing? Monomania. Uh, breaking down the word, I'm gonna go with a mania for, for a single thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, obsession. obsession. Monomania. Exaggerated or obsessive enthusiasm for or preoccupation with one thing. Yeah. It's... OCD, obsession, it's, or obsession, it's not OCD. Y'all, we're picking up lots of good words this yeah, time. Yeah, we are. Monomania, y'all. Um, but I will leave final judgment to my readers when they shall have learnt all. <laughs> the months following my discovery were spent in futile attempts to force the complicated padlock of the slightly open vault and in carefully guarded inquiries regarding the nature and history of the structure. With the traditionally receptive ears of a small boy, I learned much 
through a habitual secretiveness caused me to tell no one of my information or my resolve. It is perhaps worth mentioning that I was not at all surprised or terrified on learning of the nature of the vault. My rather original ideas regarding life and death had caused me to associate the cold clay with the breathing body in a vague fashion, and I felt that the great and sinister family of the burned-down mansion was in some way represented within the stone space I sought to explore. Mumbling tales of the weird rites and godless revels of begone years in the ancient hall gave me a new and potent is interest in the tomb. Before whose door I would sit for hours at a time each day. Once I thrust a candle within the nearly closed entrance, but could see nothing save a flight of damp stone steps leading downward. The odor of the place repelled yet bewitched me. I felt I had known it before, in a past remote beyond all recollection, beyond even my tenacity of body I now possess. The fuck? I, um, this is not healthy. He needs this, a friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He needs, he needs, he, he he needs, needs a friend. He needs a buddy. <laughs> he needs to talk to someone. Um, I wish that podcasting were not such a strictly um, audio medium, because I feel like I'm making expressions that explain a lot of my thoughts That's much what I'm saying. We should start recording oh. us, like, video... Like, we should start videoing some of these, because, like... Yeah. Because... We, we get into it, y'all. It's bonkers. I hope you get into it half as much as we do, because what? The year after I first beheld the tomb, I stumbled upon a worm-eaten translation of Pulchert's Lives in the book-filled attic of my home. Reading the life of Theseus, I was much impressed by that passage telling of the great stone beneath which the boyish hero was to find his tokens of destiny whenever he should become old enough to lift its enormous weight. This legend had the effect of dispelling my keenest, impa my keenest impatience to enter the vault, for it made me feel that the time was not yet ripe. Later, I told myself, I should grow to a strength and ingenuity which meant, which might enable me to unfasten the heavily chained door with ease. But until then, I would do better by conforming to what seemed the will of fate. Well, that actually so he sounds read a, kinda healthy. He read, he read a book about Theseus, who like, kinda grew up in, Things the door opened when it needed to, and yeah. he lifted the weight. Yeah, I can, like I don't I don't hate that thought process of like I can't get there now, but that's because it's not, it's not time for to me be. to get there. It's not meant to be, but I'm still gonna go and obsess about it like hard. <laughs> according uh, accordingly, my watches accordingly my watches by the dank portal became less persistent. Oh, good. So yeah, he stepped away. Um, became less persistent, and much of my time was spent in other thorough, equally strange pursuits. <laughs> I would sometimes rise very quickly in the night, stealing out to walk in those churchyards and places of burial from which I had been kept by my parents. What I did there, I may not say. <laughs> What's he doing? I feel or like he's I am skipping not, all of the... Yeah. This feels very like the, the Seinfeld yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Like, no, like, no. Don't no, skip no, over that. this seems important. It seems like this is going to help us make decisions. What I did there I may not say, for I am not now sure of the reality of certain things. But I know that on the day after such a nocturnal ramble, I would often astonish those about me with my knowledge of topics almost forgotten for many generations. It was after a night like this that I shocked the community with a queer conceit about the burial of the rich and celebrated Squire Brewster, a maker of local history who was interned in 1711 and whose slate headstone bearing a graven skull and crossbones was slowly crumbling to powder. In a moment of childish imagination, I vowed not only that the undertaker, Goodman Sim Simpson, had stolen the silver-buckled shoes, silken hose, and satin small clothes of the deceased before burial, but that the squire himself, not fully inanimate, had turned twice in the mound-covered coffin on the day after internment. 
So this guy was buried alive, and the guy stole the, all the his Undertaker cool shit? stole all of his fancy clothes. Oh, fuck. Was he right? I'm going to assume he was, and everyone was like, duh, hell. Or are we going to dig up the body and find out? They're going to dig up the body and be uh, like, shit, where's his belt? Oh, my God. Oh why my is he God. on his belly? But the idea of entering the tomb. Oh, now we're back to the tomb. But the idea of entering the tomb never left my thoughts, being indeed stimulated by the unexpected genealogical discovery that my own material ancestry possessed at least a slight link with the supposedly extinct family of the Hydes. Last of my paternal race, I was likewise the last of this older and more mysterious line. I began to feel that the tomb was mine, and to look forward with hot eagerness to the time when I might pass within that stone door and down those slimy stone steps in the dark. Wait, I so now he's saying he's a descendant of... Apparently. Mr. Hyde? That's Mr. <laughs> <laughs> he's a descendant of Mr. Hyde. Um, he thinks. He feels connected to them. And since he talks to ghosts, apparently, yeah. uh, maybe he is. I'm just thinking that's maybe not a thing that I'd go spreading around. Yeah, like, it sounds like hey, have you have you met my grandpa, Mr. Hyde? Yeah, he drinks a potion and murders prostitutes. <laughs> and rich people. He actually and, yeah. he murders a lot of, like, aristocracy, actually. But, yeah, I mean, maybe not... Maybe don't attach yourself to the family that is considered dark and locked in a tomb in the middle of the forest with chains. Well, and who who is, like, apparently they were so evil that after the family was all buried, the, the, the what is it, the ten gods of the forest struck the tomb with, with fucking fire lightning. Because they wanted to burn them. I'm like, Jesus. And then right. locked it up. Have you never seen a zombie movie? <laughs> <laughs> they lock the doors and write, do not open dead inside. For a reason. Uh, I now formed the habit of listening very intently at the slightly open portal, choosing my favorite hours of midnight stillness for the odd vigil. By the time I came of age, which I want, is it 18? Probably. I had made a small clearing in the thicket before the mound-stained facade of the hillside, allowing the surrounding vegetation to encircle and overhang the space like the walls and roof of a sylvan bower. This bower was my temple, the fastened door my shrine, and here I would lie outstretched on the mossy ground thinking strange thoughts and dreaming strange dreams. The night of the first revelation was a sultry one. <laughs> Midsummer, getting sticky in the forest. Getting sticky in the forest with the tomb. With the tomb. Uh, I, mu I must have fallen asleep from fatigue, for it was with a distinct sense of awakening that I heard the voices. Of those tones and accents, I hesitate to speak of their quality I will not speak, but I may say that they presented certain uncanny differences in vocabulary, pronunciation, and mode of utterance. Every shade of New England dialect, from the uncouth syllables of the Puritan colonists to the precise rhetoric of 50 years ago, seemed represented in that shallowy colloquy? Col like... I'm guessing, like, language? Uh, I assume it comes from the same root Colloquialism? as colloquialism. Yeah. New word. Colloquy. Colloquy. A conversation. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Um, seemed represented in that shadowy colloquy, though it was only later that I noticed the fact. At the time, indeed, my attention was distracted by this matter of another phenomenon, a phenomenon so fleeting that I could not take oath upon its reality. I barely fancied that I was awoke. A light had been hurriedly extinguished within the sunken sepulchre. I do not think I was either astonished or panic-stricken, but I know that I was greatly and permanently changed that night." Upon returning home, I went with much directness to a rotting chest in the attic, wherein I found the key, which next day unlocked with ease the barrier that I had so long stormed in vain. What? You... See, I think these voices are, like, telling him what to do. Like, 
But so he had the key. I think they told him to the tomb in a rotting chest in his attic all the time. I'm guessing he didn't know it was up there, and somebody whispered like things to him, and they're like, "This is how you get in." Hey, what's his name? Jervis. J- they're like, "Hey, Jarvis, open the tomb. Oh. You got a key in your attic." Don't worry, that's not weird. Don't worry, it's been there the whole time. It's fate, remember? Remember? It's fate. Wink, wink. It was in the soft glow of late afternoon that I first entered the vault on the abandoned slope. Here we go. This is not good. This is not good. A spell was upon me, and my heart leaped with an exaltation that can but ill describe. As I closed the door behind me and descended the dripping steps by the light of the lone candle, I seemed to know the way, and though the candle sputtered with the stifling reek of the place, I felt singularly at home in this musty charnel house air. Ugh. Looking around me, I beheld many marble slabs bearing coffins, or the remains of coffins. Some of these were sealed and intact, but others had nearly vanished, leaving the silver handles and plates isolated amidst certain curious heaps of whitish dust. Upon one plate I read the name of Sir Geoffrey Hyde, who had come from Sussex in 1640 and died a few years later. In a conspicuous alcove was one fairly well-preserved and untenanted casket. There was nothing in it? That's not good. Untenanted? Oh, yeah. No one inside. Like, no tenant. Uh, or maybe it just didn't... There was no list. Here, I'm just going to keep going. Untenanted casket adorned with a single name which brought me both a smile and a shudder. An odd impulse caused me to climb upon the broad slab, extinguish my candle, and lie down into the vacant box. No! 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 <laughs> You're... Oh, no! Ew, ew, ew. Stupid kid. Oh, my God. what the... No! That made me uncomfortable. Oh, my God. He's now laying in an empty fucking casket in this tomb. Okay, great. This is going to be great. In the gray light of dawn... And he turned out his light. I know. He blew out the candle, you know, so he could feel it. Uh, In the gray light of dawn, I staggered from... Oh, wait. So he slept there. He slept there overnight. In the gray light of dawn, I staggered from the vault and locked the chain of the door behind me. I was no longer a young man, though, but 21 winters had chilled my bodily frame. So he's 21 years old now. Um, Early rising villagers who observed my homeward progress looked at me strangely and marveled at the signs of ribald revelry which they saw in one whose life was known to be sober and solitary. I did not appear before my parents till after a long and refreshing sleep. Henceforward, I haunted the tomb each night, seeing, hearing, and doing things I must never reveal. What is he doing in there? I don't know, but every time it gets to the good part, he's like, so I did this thing that I'm not going to tell tell you you about. My speech, what the hell, dude? Yeah, seriously. My speech, always susceptible to the environmental influences, was the first thing to succumb to the change. Oh, he picked up a weird pseudo-English yeah. accent. Yeah, he's Madonna. And my <laughs> suddenly acquired anarchism, uh, anachronism of diction was soon remarked upon. Later, a queer boldness and recklessness came into my demeanor, till I unconsciously grew to possess the bearing of a man of the world despite my lifelong seclusion. So he got bigger? No, no, he, he started acting like, um, he got, he got bolder. He, yeah, got, he became like... He got cocky. He got, yeah, <laughs> cocky because he's a man. My formerly silent tongue waxed voluble, voluble with the easy grace of a Chesterfield or the godless cynicism of a Rochester. <laughs> who, are, who are the Chesterfields and the Rochesters? Apparently they're assholes. <laughs> are those the frats? Those are the local those, those frats. Those are his local frats. Those, okay, got it. The frat boys, the Chesterfields. The Chesterfields and the Rochesters. I think the Rochesters are uh, crew. They, they row crew. And the Chesterfields are like the like the ones that go out and have cornfield parties. <laughs> I actually think it's probably the other way around. The, the reverse, because yeah. the the Rochesters are the the, the godless. godless heathens. Yeah, so they're and out the like, Chesterfields are the they're the, like rowing in their boats. Yeah. 
I displayed a peculiar your um, your edition E-R-U-D-I-T-I-O-N. The quality of having or showing great knowledge or learning. Scholarship. All right. He got weirdly smart. He got weirdly smart. I mean, he did just sit at home and read books and, like, hang out by tombs, so what else was he doing? I displayed a peculiar erudition utterly unlike the fantastic monkish lore over which I had poured in my youth. Okay. And covered the fly leaves of my books with facile impromptu epigrams which brought up suggestions of gay prior and the sprightliness of the augustian wits and rhymesters what i don't even know what any of that meant one more poor, poor, and covered oh he wrote a bunch of um poems Poetry? well there's about to be a poem that he's we're going to read so that's fun uh, one morning at breakfast, I came close to disaster by discla- by declaiming in f- palpably licorice accents an infusion of 18th century bacchanalian mirth, a bit of Georgian playfulness never recorded in a book, which ran something like this. Okay, so one day I oh came down to God. breakfast drunk, and I recited <laughs> this orgy poem. Yeah, orgy poem! Okay, here we go. I'm gonna... Should, should I put on a dialect for this? I feel like I should have, like, an old, like... Because it, it was the Puritans that came over, right? So they're still British? Yeah, but he said palpably licorice. So he's a little drunk. He's a little... Come hither, my lads, with your tankards of ale, and drinks of the present before it shall fail. Pile each on your platter a mountain of beef, for it's eating and drinking that bring us relief. So fill up your glass, your life will soon pass, when you're dead near your drinking to your king or your lass. Acrian has a red nose, so they say, but... What's a red nose if you're happy and gay? <laughs> Gad split me. I'd rather be red whilst I'm here than white as a lily and dead half a year. So Betty, my miss, come give me a kiss. In hell, there's no innkeeper's daughter like this. <laughs> wow. Young right. Harry propped up till just as straight as he's able will soon lose his wig and slip under the table. <laughs> But fill up your goblets and pass them around better under the table than under the ground. So revel and chafe as ye thirstily quaff under six feet of dirt till less easy to laugh. (laughs) Quaff and laugh are supposed to rhyme. So golf, quaff, and laugh. Well, yeah, so he did adopt a a sort of English accent. accent. All right. A fiend strike me blue, I'm scared upon, I'm scared able to walk, and damn me if I can stand upright or talk. Here, landlord, bid Betty to summon a chair. I'll try home for a while, for my wife is not there. So let me hand, I'm not able to stand, but I'm gay whilst I linger on top of the land. <laughs> Yeah, if my if my friend or child came downstairs like for breakfast and just started like like I think I'd think it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, he's been doing a lot of weird stuff. He's been so. doing a lot of weird things and he's not known for this sort of behavior. Yeah. Like I yeah. feel y- you probably have a lot more friends who could <laughs> come downstairs and just whip off four stanzas of uh I Let's ha- drink and have sex because we'll be dead soon. I have a few friends that I would absolutely like in no way double take if they came came in the room and just did this. <laughs> like, let's be real. Upon this time, I conceived my present fear of fire and thunderstorms. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Previously indifferent to such things, I had now an unspeakable horror of them and would retire to the innermost recesses of the house whenever the heavens threatened an electrical display. A favorite haunt of mine during the day was the ruined cellar of the mansion that had burned down. And in fancy, I would picture the structure as it had been in its prime. On one occasion, I startled a villager by leading him confidently to a shallow... Oh. 
He led some random stranger to this? Oh, no. On one occasion, I startled a visitor by leading him confidently to a shallow sub-cellar of whose existence I seemed to know in spite of the fact that it had been unseen and forgotten for many generations. At last came that... At last came that which I had long feared. My parents, alarmed at the altered manner and appearance of their only son, commenced to exhort over my movements a kindly espionage, which threatened to result in disaster. <laughs> my parents started spying, started spying on, on, me. on me. I was acting weird and they thought I was on drugs, so they started spying God on damn. me. damn. <laughs> Uh, I had told no one on my visits to the tomb, having guarded my secret purpose with religious zeal since childhood, but now I was forced to exercise care in treading the mazes of the hollow, wooded hollow, which I might throw off a possible, so I might throw off a possible pursuer. My key to the vault I kept suspended from a cord about my neck, its presence only known to me. I never carried out of the sepulchre any of the things I came upon whilst within its walls. Oh, good. You didn't bring... You didn't bring the ghosts home. Yeah. Yeah. Don't... I've seen the mummy, too. Don't steal shit from the tomb. And don't open it, for sure. Well, too late. Opened I, it, I laid know. down in it. Well, but he like, opened the tomb, but don't open the stuff in the tomb, which I guess he already has done as well. Don't steal shit. One morning as I emerged from the damp tomb and fastened the chain of the portal with none too steady a hand, I beheld in an adjacent thicket the dreaded face of a watcher. Surely the end was near, for my bower was discovered and the objective of my nocturnal journeys revealed. The man did not accost me, so I hastened home in an effort to overhear what he might report to my careworn father. Were my sojourns beyond the chained door about to be proclaimed to the world? Imagine my delighted astonishment on hearing the spy informant of my parents in, in a precautious whisper say that I had spent the night in the bower inside the tomb, my sleep-filmed eyes fixed upon the crevice where the padlocked portal stood ajar. But what miracle had the watcher been thus deluded? I was now convinced that the supernatural agency protected me. So he didn't tell them. He didn't tell you. He said that he spent the night outside. Yeah. Made bold by this heaven-sent circumstance, I began to resume perfect openness in going to the vault, confident that no one could witness my entrance. For a week, I tasted to the full of joys of that charnel convivality. Conviviality. Conviviality. Charnel conviviality. Conviviality. The quality of being friendly and lively. All right. So dead friendliness. Dead. Oh, ew. <laughs> Charnel conviviality, which I must not describe. When the thing happened and I was borne away to this accursed abode to sorrow and monotony, I should not have ventured out that night for the taint of thunder was in the clouds and a hellish phosphorescent rose from the rank swamp at the bottom of the hollow. Ew. <laughs> the call of the dead, too, was different. Instead of the hillside tomb, it was the charred cellar of the crest of the slope whose presiding demon beckoned to me with unseen figures. I am. I emerged from an intervening grove upon the plain before the ruin. I beheld in the misty moonlight a thing I had always vaguely expected. The mansion, gone for a century, once more reared its stately height to the raptured vision, every window ablaze with the splendor of candles. Up the long drive rolled the coaches of the Boston gentry, whilst on foot came a numerous assemblage of powdered exquisites from the neighboring mansions. Okay, so now it's a ghost so party. So now it's a ghost mansion. Ghost mansion party. So now we're basically we're at Disneyland, and we are in the haunted mansion. Yeah, or cool. possibly at Hogwarts. That works, too. Um, though at Hogwarts, I would expect it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ghosts are kind of like their thing. With the throng I mingled, though I knew I belonged with the hosts rather than with the guests. <laughs> well, hoity-toy to you! Inside the hall were music, laughter, and wine on every hand. Several faces I recognized, though I should have known them better had they been shriveled or eaten away by death and oh. decomposition. Eh. 
Amidst a wild and reckless throng was the wildest and most abandoned. Gay blasphemy poured in torrents from my lips, and in my shocking sallies I heeded no law of God, man, or nature. Suddenly a peal of thunder, resonant even above the din of the swinish revelry, clave the very roof and laid a hush of fear upon the boisterous company. Red tongues of flame and searing gusts of heat engulfed the house, and the royalers struck with terror as the descent of a calamity which seemed to transcend the bounds of ungilded nature fled shrieking into the night. I alone remained, riveted to my seat by a groveling fear that I had never felt before, and then a second horror took possession of my soul, burnt alive to ashes, my body dispersed by the four winds. I might never lie in the tomb of the hides. Was not my coffin prepared for me? Had I not a right to rest till eternity among the descendants of Sir Joffrey Hyde? I, I would claim my heritage of death, even though my soul goes seeking through the ages for another corporal tenement to represent it on the vacant slab in the alcove of the vault. Jervis Hyde should never share the sad fate of Polarnus? Polarius? Polarius? Polonius? No, it's not Polonius. <laughs> um, it's a name. Spell it. Was it in the show? I think it was in it earlier. P-A-L-I-N-U-R-U-S. Palinurus. In Roman mythology, ah. especially Virgil's Aeneid, uh, the helmsman of Aeneas' ship. That's fancy ass. All right. As the phantom of the burning house faded, I found myself screaming and struggling madly in the arms of two men, one of whom was the spy who had followed me to the tomb. Rain was pouring down in the torrents, and upon the southern horizon were flashes of the lightning that had so lately passed over our heads. My father, his face lined with sorrow, stood by as I shouted my demands to be laid within the tomb, frequently admonishing my captors to treat me as gently as they could. A blackened circle on the floor of the ruined cellar told of a violent stroke from the heavens, and from this spot a group of curious villagers with lanterns were prying a small box of antique workmanship with the th which the thunderbolt had brought to light. Ceasing my futile and now objectless writhing, I watched the spectators as they viewed the treasure cove and was permitted to share in their discoveries. The box, whose fastenings were broken by the stroke which had unearthed it, contained many papers and objects of value, but I had eyes for one thing alone. It was the porcelain miniature of a young man in a smartly cured bag wig and bore the initials J.H. The face was such that I gazed. I might well have been studying my mirror. On the following day, I was brought to this room with the barred windows, but I have been kept informed of certain things through an aged and simple-minded servitor for whom I bore a fondness in infancy, and who, like me, loves the churchyard. What I have dared relate of my experiences within the vault has brought me only pitying smiles. My father, who visits me frequently, declares that at no time did I pass the, charnel po the chained portal, and swears that the rusted padlock had not been forced for fifty years when he examined it and even says that all the village knew of my journeys to the tomb, and that I was often watched as I slept in the bower outside the grim façade, my half-opened eyes fixed on the crevice that leads to the interior. Against these assertions, I have no tangible proof to offer, since my key to the padlock was lost in the struggle on the night of horrors. The strange thing of the past which I learnt during those nocturnal meetings with the dead he dismisses as the fruits of my lifelong and omnivorous browsing amongst the ancient volumes of the family library. Had it not been for my old servant Hiram, I should have by this time become quite convinced of my madness. But Hiram, loyal to the last, had held faith in me and had done which impels me to make a, make a public at least part of my story. A week ago, he burst open the lock with 
which chains the door of the tomb perjually ajar and descended with a lantern into the murky depths. On a slab in an alcove, he found an old but empty coffin whose tarnished plate bears a single word, Jervis. In that coffin and in that vault, they have promised me I shall be buried. The end. Creepy! What the fuck? So he never actually was in there? Like, there's like... Well, they're saying they never saw him go in. Yeah. But and that the chains had never been and, and like, the, unlocked. The, the and the padlock had never key. been open. It's and very he lost Wizard the key. of Oz. It's very Wizard of Oz. But also, um, his his servant came to him and said, "Hey, I busted open the door. There's this tomb that has your name on it, and there's no but body he inside." He never wrote the name. There was no name when he first went in there. So like mysteriously, Did the say, name is now there. No, he. Just, I thought it said there was one word. He said there was one word written on it, oh. but then he didn't tell us what the word was. Oh really? I he, thought it's like it was an empty like there was no tenant. Untenanted meaning there was no oh. one inside, uh. not meaning there was nothing written on it. Yeah, it's very very uh, Wizard of Ozzy in the like like you know Return to Oz. Yeah. With the key, she finds the Oz key that falls from the sky. Oh yeah. And yeah, puts yeah. it on Belinda the chicken. <laughs> Now that's a fucked up movie right there. Yeah. And I grew up on it. So yay! The Wheelers. <laughs> ah! Um but yeah, it was very Wizard of Oz. Like he has all these memories of things and And people. you were there? And you were there? And Hyde was there and all the creepy people were there and I do sang my sailor song about having sex with the, the, the kitchen wench. I also I do think it's really interesting that um uh he seemed to change his like by the end he was he was self-titling um Jervis Hyde. Yeah. And so the initials were JH. Yeah. Which is Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> ah, interesting. I have I have no idea if that actually means anything, anything but I, I did think that was Yeah, his name note. was Jervis, Jervis Dudley, Dudley originally. Yeah. So yeah. But he, he thought himself a descendant of the Hydes and at one point calls himself Jervis Hyde. And his parents said that he just read too many books and yeah. that's where he got all these ideas. So moral of that story, don't read. Don't read books. <laughs> Reading books is dangerous, kids. Don't read books. Let us Play read them video to games. you. <laughs> or let us read them to you. Cause, uh, what? Yeah, see. <laughs> moral of the story... I'm going to edit this take in later. Moral of the story, reading books is dangerous. Don't read books. Let us read them to you. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> then you you didn't read them, and so that's the moral of this story. So H.P. Oh. Lovecraft says, let them read them to you. <laughs> I like that. Maybe th I think that should be our new that should be our new tagline. Um, don't campfire read, classics. Don't read books. reading books is hard. Let us do it for you. <laughs> Reading books is dangerous, Reading according books to is that. Dangerous. According to that, having an imagination will like fuck you up. <sighs> we'll read the stories so, for you. So we'll, so we will bite the bullet and have an imagination for we, you. You know what? We're already artists, so we're already all messed up. So we yeah. might as well just read the stories to you, um, and and sacrifice ourselves for that. So, all right. Well, that was that, that was, was a fun one. That had a lot of words. That was that he was. Maybe that's why he had trouble selling. He he was nobody a little, understood what the he hell he was, was saying. He was a little hoity-toity even for the time. Like yeah. there's always a few words, but like that was that that was very uh uh very uh upper upper brow I would say yeah. uh, high class. So he probably had trouble selling them because like the normal everyday person couldn't understand. Didn't, couldn't follow it. And they didn't have Google like they we they, did. Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't look up the the, the name Roman myth of like the the name of the navigator on the in the Aeneid. Yeah. So you know, good. Well, I'm glad he's educated. But um, I had fun reading it because it made my mouth do things like when I do Shakespeare. It was like oh ha ha. ha. <laughs> My tongue good is exercise. very warmed up right now. Yes. <laughs> so now I'm going to drink more coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, more coffee sounds good. I also need some food. Let's get food and coffee. We we often in our, end our uh, our podcast on 
Mmm, food. Well, it does take a while to record it, so That's true. by the time we're done, it's like, well, it's been two hours since the last time I put food in my mouth. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think it's, it's time, time for food in my mouth. I think it's time to eat. Yeah. And air conditioning. All right, so uh, I hope you enjoyed this um, HP Lovecraft uh, short story. Consider becoming a patron and uh, send us authors. Yeah, if you want to hear us read other short stories, uh, let us know. You can do that on our website, Campfire hmm, campfireclassicspodcast.com. I haven't been reading, so my tongue is not warmed up. You're good. I'm tripping over words. Uh, so, yeah, you can do that on our website, or you can send us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. Or you can track us down on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and say, hey, I want you to read this story yeah. or this author. I think that would be cool. Yeah. Um, Do it. Or, or become a patron on Patreon or um, read a book yourself or write a book yourself. Write a book yourself. That sounds great. If you write a short story that you would like us to read... Uh, Send it over. We'll do we'll, a special maybe, episode. Maybe you could be the classic author of the future that we read a short story by. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I think I'm uh, petering out a little bit because I really need to eat. All right. He's All petering. Right. So. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Don't open locked chain doors to tubes. Or books. Or books. Thank <laughs> you.